Welcome to the Caring for EOE podcast, where we'll navigate eosinophilic esophagitis together. From diagnosis to daily living, feelings to finances, and restrictions to recipes, let's create a community that cares for EOE. Welcome to the Caring for EOE podcast. Today's guest is a true gift to the allergy and EOE community. Tara McCarthy is a pediatric dietitian, and she works at Children's Hospital here in Boston. I'm so thrilled to have her and to share with us some practical advice that she uses to help patients and caregivers thrive in a food-focused world while contending with dietary restrictions. Tara, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. This is something I'm really passionate about, and the more people that can get involved, uh, the better. Oh, fantastic. Well, it actually would be great to hear more about how you got into this line of work, what's your background, what do you do, and and where does this passion come from? Sure. Um, So I've been a dietitian for over 20 years. Um, I've been working in pediatrics at Boston Children's for over 18 years. Um, I did inpatient and then I did outpatient. And so about 15 years ago, um, I started with the uh, EOE clinic in Boston. And so that's a dietitian, a, um, some GI providers, as well as some allergists. And uh, I also do a celiac clinic. And so the majority of my patients that I see have to eliminate something and it's just a big piece of, um, their care. Wow. And knowing how much uh, it takes to eliminate food from a diet, I can imagine it's not only hard for the patients and the, and the caregivers, but for others to understand how to help them. What kind of um, advice or support do you give someone the, the moment they realize they need to cut something out of their diet? Mm-hmm. It, I would say it becomes very emotional. So they kind of get the diagnosis and they wrap their brain around that and then they hear what they have to eliminate and they're kind of okay. And then when they come into my office, it becomes real (laughs) of what am I actually going to feed my child for dinner tonight? Um, And so the first thing I try to say is that you can do this. Um, It's very doable. We just have to make some changes um, and to really try to empower them and then give them actual suggestions. I think that a lot of people here, I can't, I can't, I can't. And I try to tell them, look at all the things you can do and the things you can eat and focus on those positive things. That was a real difference for me. I had the chance to hear you speak at um, a patient um, event in, um, oh, I guess it was last summer at this point that we had. And during your talk, it really it really resonated with me that there is more can than can't, Mm -hmm. but not at the very first sound of the disease, my son with EOE and his restrictions. It doesn't sound like, oh, look what you can do. Here's what everything that you can't have. Mm -hmm. You know, the first thing I did was go home and cleared my cabinets and it felt very um, restrictive and limiting. So, so the more that we can help people realize like there are actually a lot of foods that we can have. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, what is something on that emotional end that that we could give people as advice in terms of th- the beginning and the very first thing around whether it's themselves or their children in really contending with um, with getting home right first, I would say. Yeah, I think um, taking it step by step. Um, and so if you're diagnosed in, you know, March, not thinking about what are we going to do for a birthday in October or what are we going to do for the holidays in December, I think it's important to take day by day and almost meal by meal. And so think about even not changing everything all at once, but saying that, okay, for dinner, we usually have these seven things of those seven things, two of those actually work. Great. Let's start there. Um, I think, you know, clear education of label reading and kind of 
what you have to avoid and what you don't have to avoid. I think one of the biggest things I, I love to tell people is when they have to avoid soy, that they can have soybean oil and soy lecithin. Mm. That's huge. It just opens up a huge amount of products that they can have that they had been putting back on the shelf. That's true. We live through that. We can't have sunflower and there's sunflower oil and lecithin and everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that's melodramatic. <laughs> it feels like it. Um, and so when we realized we could have those two things, it did lighten the load a little bit too. Yes. Um, and I've had to become a better cook at home. Um, as a working mom, I never was my proudest moment to, <laughs> when it came to cooking in the kitchen. Um, and so for people who might be intimidated by cooking, cooking with whole foods, you mm-hmm. know, what um, resources do you recommend or even advice in that area? Yeah. Again, I say start small. Yeah. Um, I do think that it is an important piece. It's really difficult to do an elimination diet on eating out and on um, processed food. It's almost impossible to do just that. And so you do have to cook. Um, But you can think of things like, for instance, okay, I can make rice, Mm -hmm. right? So, okay, I can make rice. My kids do like a vegetable and maybe it's a frozen vegetable and that's okay. And then maybe I can just focus on making the chicken for that night. Right. Um, So I think, again, not trying to become a chef overnight, not trying to please everyone. I also think that we put a lot of pressure on ourselves as parents, (laughs) especially for dinner. Um, I just see it across my patient load of that's the time that we are all together. That's the time that, you know, we really work hard to make sure they get all of their nutrition in at dinner. And I say to parents, that's our busiest time, our most stressful time, and not the best of the kids' time either. They're Mm. also stressed and tired and cranky. And so sometimes maybe encouraging the nutrition piece up in front, morning, afternoon snack, and then if you just had, you know, gluten-free pasta for dinner – it's better to enjoy the meal with your child than to be stressed about cooking something grandiose. Oh, that is great advice because that's my life. Yes. <laughs> you know, you, you named it to a T where I am. I'm trying to make dinner this special moment because mm-hmm. we haven't seen each other all day. Mm-hmm. And it's usually um, quite the opposite. Everybody's tired and strung out and just kind of needs a minute. Yeah. Um, and so actually, I, that's some advice I think I could put into practice right away. Right. Well, and I would say too, I mean, even now, my kids are older. They're 10, 12, and 14. Yeah. And so again, I think it's pivotal to sit down with them. And, you know, if I can get them to stay for 20 minutes, that's big. And so I've kind of lessened my expectation Mm -hmm. of this is not going to be an hour long. It's going to be 20 minutes, but we're going to make the most of that 20 minutes. Oh, that's great. No, it's true. I once um, heard that the definition of disappointment is the difference between expectations and reality. Yes. (laughs) yes. So I'm good with that. 20 minutes is is way better than nothing. And and an hour, you know, I don't even know if I did an hour as a kid. So, And I would say to embrace the flops. I mean, so there's been a few moments, a few times that I'm so proud of the dinner. I put it down and everyone kind of gives it a thumbs down. And I just have to laugh and say, you know what? You're right. Let's just have breakfast for dinner. Like this, Uh. this one didn't work tonight. And it just lightens it. It doesn't make it as stressful. No, that's true. Oh, we love breakfast for dinner. That's that's definitely a fallback. (laughs) Uh, Well, you mentioned the nutritional element. And and for me, and I know in talking with other people, I really worry about the in particular, my son getting enough nutrition. Yeah. Um, he is on a six food elimination. Um, so he can't have peanuts, um, sunflower seed, egg, dairy, wheat, and corn. Mm-hmm. And I know things like corn doesn't have a ton of nutrition in the first place, but the things that it's in, you know, maybe he's has some gaps. It's on my mind a lot about 
is he getting enough vitamins and what other nutrients um, he can't have dairy so what about calcium mm -hmm. how do you how do you help people think about nutrients and and where to get it and if you are eliminating it from one source how to find something from another source yes I get that question a lot yeah. a lot um, especially the calcium question yeah. I would say my number two question I get a lot is they're not getting enough protein mm. so I'll definitely focus on those two so for calcium I really, um, so clearly it's in dairy products. When we take away the dairy, we're going to have that concern. What I say is what is the need of the child? And so I would say, um, you know, looking at how many milligrams they need and then seeing where we can get it from other sources. The other thing about dairy um, is calories and protein. And so sometimes some of the milk substitutes are not as high in those two things. So mm. my worry usually is much more about those two things um, because we can supplement with a calcium supplement. Okay. So I really try to get all of my patients, I sometimes say kids, um, all of my <laughs> patients on um, a uh, plant-based milk okay. that usually is fortified with calcium more than uh, actual cow's milk. So the calcium oh, okay. they can get if they're doing the same amount of um, plant-based milk that they were of doing cow's milk. Okay. Um, as far as the calories, though, they can be a lot lower in the plant-based milks. And so for growing children, mm. that's a really important piece. They might lose out on 200 calories, even though they're drinking the same exact volume. So trying to make up that calorie piece from other places. Protein... Um, Majority of Americans eat three times the amount of protein we need. And <laughs> yeah. so I really haven't found many children that I'm worried about their protein intake, even if they don't eat meat. Um, but, you know, that's something we can definitely look into. As far as the other kind of nutrients, I like to cover all my patients with a multivitamin. It's mm. a little bit of pressure off. And then the goal is five fruits and vegetables a day different ones. Oof. Exactly. <laughs> My poor two-year-old is not getting those. <laughs> which is why we cover them with a multivitamin yeah. as we work on getting their interest in the fruits and vegetables. Right, right. Oh, I have so many questions. So let me start with one. Um, without prescribing one, what should someone look for in a multivitamin? So most important thing I tell everyone is that you need to make sure it doesn't have any of the allergens in it. Yes. Yep. Um, so okay. that's first and foremost. Yep. <laughs> the second one is that I don't really love the gummy vitamins yeah. as much as the children do not want me to say that mm -hmm. um, because they don't have all of the B vitamins in it nor can they have iron. So if we're looking at those two things, and for B vitamins, especially people who are avoiding wheat, um, in America, we fortify the fields, uh, the wheat fields with the B vitamins. And so therefore, if we're taking that away, if we're not eating fortified products, I worry about the B vitamins. Okay. So the gummy ones are not the best. However, if someone says, Tara, it's either gummy or nothing, mm. then clearly take the gummy. Okay. Um, so, and then I look for things that are not as, um, it depends on the child, but can they swallow or can they chew it? Okay. Um, and do they actually like it? Because a gr you can have a wonderful multivitamin if they won't take it, it doesn't do anything. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that I tried a liquid one with my son. That was not going to work. <laughs> so he's got a chewable now, and yeah. we'll see. Uh, we'll see how long he likes that. I think two is also hard because what he liked yesterday, you may not like tomorrow. Of course, <laughs> of course. <laughs> and hopefully, he'll like it again. But we'll yes. see. <laughs> on all the plant-based milks, there's a whole range of them. So how do mm -hmm. we think about rice milk all the way through to flax milk, almond milk, oat milk? Yep. You know, so my again, looking at what can people have and not have, right? So some people who can't have nuts won't be able to have the almond milk um, or the cashew milk or the macadamia milk. I mean, there's tons mm -hmm. of them out right now. Um, my favorites right now are probably oat, first and yeah. foremost. Um that's my favorite. I think it's the creamiest and I just like the way it makes my tea taste. Um, and then I would say good karma, flax milk. I mean, yeah. that's um, the one with protein plus, okay. but they add the protein with pea protein. 
And then um, a pea protein milk as well um, is my third favorite for nutrients across the board, for calories, um, for protein. So those are my three top ones. Got it. Rice milk, we don't recommend for anyone under the age of two because there's no fat in it as well as the low calories and protein. Got it. Um, Well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Through... Through the years, I can imagine Tyler will have more involvement than he does right now, Mm -hmm. although he is starting to help me make things, and it's really kind of cute at two. What recommendation do you have in involving kids throughout Mm -hmm. the years um, in their own, you know, empowerment around their, what they eat and what they, how they prepare it? Mm -hmm. As much for any diagnosis, I say, even for a child who's completely healthy, the more you get them involved from beginning to end, the better eater they're going to be for Mm -hmm. variety and just knowing what it comes from. We explain things to our children in detail about everything. We're going to go to the doctor. We're going to wait in the waiting room. We're going to see someone with a white coat. We're go- they're going to have you, you know, listen to your heart. And for food, we just put it in front of them and expect them to eat it. Mm. And so if they see where you got it from the grocery store, what it felt like, what it smelled like, and then having them cut it and then having them put it out, the, they have a better understanding of it and they're usually more willing to try it. For kids with allergies or any sort of elimination, you want to empower them and you want them to know what they have to avoid without creating anxiety or fear. We see a lot of anxiety and fear with kids with food allergies. Yeah. And I blame us as providers and I blame parents. <laughs> did you, did you check them? Did you, and so yeah. every time they eat, they get that nervousness. And so really trying to lessen that. So empowering them without making them feel anxious or worried about it. Well, that emotional piece is um, really on my mind as well. It's, it's so intertwined, eating and emotions. And I don't I don't think I appreciated that until this food topic came up in our family. Yes. Um, so how, what support or how do you recommend parents approach the emotional part of, mm-hmm. of this diagnosis? And it definitely is emotional. There yeah. are many times in my office that parents are crying, kids are crying, mm. because food is so... Um, it's everywhere, right? And so navigating that is important. I think um, first and foremost, one trick is to always have food that they like on your person because you always have that helpful person who happens to bring in munchkins at class or that helpful person who, you know, brought something after the soccer game. And so you, you want your child to always feel like they have something. Um, you know, my children do not have food allergies. My, uh, it's in my family, right. but not my own children. But because their mother's a dietitian, there's been lots of times that I have said, no, we're not going to yeah. have that. We have this, right? Um, and so I think being prepared, the, the one hardest part is that you lose spontaneity when you have food allergies or you're on an elimination diet. You, it's hands down the hardest part. You have to be planned. Yes. And whether that's having a bar in your car, whether that's having, you know, an apple in your purse um, or a calling ahead, there's just a lot more planning to it. And so that's the piece that I would focus on is that, okay, we're going to lose some spontaneity, but we can do everything we did before. We just have to plan out some food in ahead of time. Yes, I have definitely lived that both in the good and the bad ones when I didn't plan. And then when I did, it felt really good to have something. And um, when it comes to planning, you know, if someone's not accustomed to that or there are different people with different personality types and planning Mm -hmm. may not be their strength. Are there tips and tricks or apps or 
I don't know. I don't even know what to ask around mm-hmm. how to become a better planner when you used to be pretty spontaneous about this. Right. Um, again, I think my always advice is kind of start small. Yeah. Again, right? So don't expect to make homemade cupcakes when you're going to a birthday party every time, right? Yeah. That maybe you make a batch and have them frozen that you can grab it. The other thing is really talking to your child and seeing what actually bothers them. Because I think sometimes we have a different perspective of, oh my gosh, my poor child doesn't like, can't have pizza and can't have cake. And therefore the party is ruined. Right. And so coming from a child myself who didn't enjoy pizza and cake, every time I was like, I can't believe this is the only thing they serve every party. So we haven't come very far. It's still pizza and cake. Yeah. And so I think kind of helping them, do they really miss the pizza or do they just enjoy the party and wish they had something? Mm. Um, and so maybe that like kind of feeling them out, you know, ask them in your lunchbox, what's happy about it? What do you miss? What do your friends have that looks really good? And it may not be focused on the allergy. It may be, you know, a trick I always use with my kids is I say, I want to have the best lunch. So (laughs) tell me what the best lunch out there so I can top it. So it's not about, so I'm kind of feeling what they're missing and then trying to replicate it. That makes a lot of sense. Well, and it is true. It's our own frame of reference that we are imposing on our kids and mm-hmm. yet they may not even know. Right. You know, for Tyler, he's never going to know what it means. Well, hopefully some will have, <laughs> have some progress, but <laughs> at this stage, he doesn't really know what pizza tastes like. And right. so for me to impose on him this, this, um, lack, uh, it's just, it's not accurate. Right. Uh, so, and sometimes yeah. kind of, you know, feeding them before of like, what's your favorite lunch? Let's have that before the party. This way you're all full. And then we can just focus on the treat that we're going to bring or whatever that is. Right, right. And I've heard other people give advice of bringing something that you you can share with the other kids. So Absolutely. everybody loves popcorn and Absolutely. You know, talking with the moms in advance to say, how can I bring something that we can share? Yes. And, yeah. and I think too, on that point of having something that everyone recognizes. Right. So for instance, if you bring gluten-free pretzels, everyone knows what a pretzel is. You don't have to show them the bag that it's different looking. And then everyone has it. So again, making them feel like they're part of something rather than we tried to mimic exactly what they're having. Yeah. Is there any advice in terms of talking with other parents in a way that is education without patronizing or mm-hmm. you know, how, do, how do you tell people to approach others out there in the community? Right. I think you, um, I think you have to clearly strongly advocate for your child. Um, But I also say pick your battles, right? Mm. So if your child is not involved in something that has food there, then I probably wouldn't get involved with that one. But if your child is there and involved, then I would say that you want to just be open and honest with them. Um, Especially, I think it's really important if they're going to someone's house for a play date, say. Yeah. Um, I have lots of patients who go to a play date and the mother or father says, I can't believe it. They were there for six hours and no one fed them. And they were just afraid. I'm sure Mm -hmm. they didn't want to mess up. And so the more education you can give them of, oh, you know, um, Susie loves to have apples when she gets home from school or, oh, any fruit is fine. Mm -hmm. Just giving them little tidbits that they know, oh, okay, I can give them that without being worried about messing up. Oh, that makes sense. And I think more it's, it's the education of giving them like concrete examples Rather than just saying my my son or daughter can't have and naming this big long list. Yes, yes. And I had the benefit of going to the Cured Conference in the fall. Mm-hmm. And someone was giving advice about when you're at a restaurant as well. This was, to me, was really enlightening that instead of telling 
the the chef what you can't have tell them what you can have and I don't know why that was such a shift for me right and again going back to our beginning conversation of oh well I can have chicken and broccoli and rice could you make that for me as opposed to I can't have peanuts and etc so that was a game changer for me when it came to thinking about eating out and I say that because we have yet to eat out with We'll get it's there. very nerve-wracking the first time, definitely. Yeah. Um, I also say that you not only want to kind of tell them about the allergens, help them out in suggestions of what your child would like, and then make sure that when it comes back to the table that you re- repeat. So everything on this plate is free of blah, 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 blah. Ah. Um, just because you know in restaurants they're busy and you may have someone else who's running the food and so they may have thought, oh, they missed a sauce or things like that. So it's like a triple check. Oh, that's a great point. So sandwich it. Tell them in the beginning what you can't have. Yes. Tell them what you can have. When you get it, review what you can't have and make sure it's not on it. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> well, maybe one of these days we'll eat out, but we'll see. <laughs> so you mentioned that you don't happen to have food allergies among your kids. And yet every January, you um, uh, proactively go on an elimination diet. Can you tell us about you know what inspires you to do that and what is it like? Yes. So this, um, I started this about seven years ago and, um, you know, I teach every day how to tell people how to do the elimination diet. And I thought, yet I have never done the elimination diet myself. So seven years ago, I, I did the top eight, um, and I failed pretty miserably. So I didn't eat the food, but my weight went down. I was lethargic so much so that one of the GI specialists at children said, you're going to need to drink an amino acid based formula if you don't (laughs) fix this. And I thought, you're right. I was so focused on the things I had to avoid and being safe that I completely forgot. And I think that now that's given me a really good lesson to help families of don't focus only on that, really focus on the big picture. Mm. And so that, and now every January, I've kind of added a little mixture to it. So the next year I I did drink an amino acid based formula with my elimination diet because we often, you know, ask kids to do that. Sure. Um, This January I'm doing gluten. So I also have a lot of kids with um, eosinophilic esophagitis as well as celiac disease. Sure. And so I did gluten, um, dairy, soy, and egg. Um, it really, it helps my family, I would say. I think it really makes me a better practitioner in the fact that I can recommend products that actually taste good and the ones that my kids actually will eat. Mm. So I notice sometimes, even now, you know, I make um, avocado and tomato as a breakfast. Oh, Yet my kids look at me and go, mom, that's not a breakfast. And so I understand that most of my kids I see are not going to eat that for breakfast, right? Um, they might do chips and salsa, right? That might with some avocado on it or something different. But it just really teaches me how to think outside the box and then also how to um, approach when we go out to eat, how to approach mm-hmm. when we are going to someone else's houses. So I, you know, for 30 days, I kind of live in their shoes. Um, I do go back afterwards, so I can't mm-hmm. say that I completely understand having to do it forever, but um, at least it gives me a, a taste of it. Absolutely. And what have you found in terms of your mindset in addition to the the, the implications of the food and nutrition? So the first month, again, that first month that I did it uh, seven years ago was um, I was focused so much on food and my mind had never gone there. Yeah. And so I was constantly thinking of what am I going to eat next? Where am I going to get food? And so it, I didn't like it at all. Like I really thought this is not something I even thought about beforehand. And so it kind of went back to that planning and it kind of went back into the balance and the refocusing. And sometimes I even say to families, you know, 
letting nutrition lapse a little bit, which is hard for a dietitian to say. Yeah. But for instance, that, you know, potato chips in lunch, if that's going to make them happy is okay. Where before maybe you didn't do potato chips because it's not as healthy, parentheses. So I think that, you know, I think kind of letting some of that go was also empowering of like, it doesn't have to be a hundred percent wonderful all the time. You just have to kind of keep going with it. Wow. That's inspiring. So thank you on behalf of us in the community for taking on that challenge every year. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, without, uh, again, advocating for any certain brands or, um, food, is there anything that people can, can look to? I would love to ask brands that you recommend if that's something that you're willing to share Mm -hmm. or any other resources that people can tap into. Yes, sure. I think, um, so resources, I do think families thrive on getting information from other families who are going through it. I really think that is the best, any kind of support network you can get. That's extremely helpful. Um, as far as, um, I'm not getting paid by any of these companies, just just to preface it here. Um, I, I did find last year Sweet Lauren's, which is a cookie company that, um, is in the grocery store. That's near kind of where the already pre, um, in the refrigerated section. Okay. And so you can just heat a few up at a time. Oh, wow. That was a huge win. My kids even love them and they don't have to. So my wins are always the ones that my kids will eat and, and want me to buy again. You're right. Um, the Seed Butters and the company 88 Acres is a mm-hmm. great company. Yeah. Um, their uh, facility is also free of the top eight and is based more on seeds. Um, someone who can't have sunflowers is not, not right, going to be good. Right. But um, the, what else? the oat milks are really wonderful right now. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely changing the community. I think what's also helping is that there's a bigger push for plant-based across people who are even just, does, just out there, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think that the products are becoming better. I think Daya is a, is a good cheese substitute that I use. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of what is on my kind of weekly. Yeah. We I, buy a lot of Enjoy Life. Enjoy Life, yes. Um, they're pretty amazing. And there's and again, that comfort of having the facility is free of the, of the top eight yes. is really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. So that's – and I find brands that are really committed to this, they don't mind inquiries from par- yes. parents and patients and caregivers and, and seeing their statements on online is really useful. Mm-hmm. Um, so no way is another one that yeah. that I've used. So yeah, again, we're not endorsing any of them, <laughs> right, but it's, right. it, that was the biggest thing for me is like when I first started this journey of what brands can I trust? Yes. And then I started to trust no one, which I don't right, think that's necessarily right. healthy. Right, Even my right. own set of eyes, I would get nervous <laughs> and read the ingredients three or four times. Right, right. Um, but it's always good to, to share that those, you're right about the tips and tricks from the parents who are in it with mm-hmm. us. So there's lots of Facebook communities. There's yeah. some eosinophilic esophagitis groups, uh, pediatric and otherwise. And if, you know, you can strike up a, a group of people in person, that's always really uh, powerful too. So absolutely. So great advice. Um, so what are you optimistic about when it comes to EOE, food allergies, and anything that you're seeing in the field? Um, I'm optimistic, I would say, again, with the the push in the, in the food industry um, to have more of these products and that the mm-hmm. labeling is more helpful. I mean, even in the last 10 years, we didn't you know, there used to not be a food allergy labeling, you know, Consumer Protection Act. That's huge. Um, so I think that that's becoming very helpful. 
I think that communities are building around it, which I also think is helpful, more yeah. centers. So, um, you know, having kind of a GI allergist, dietitian, social worker all together is a really important piece um, yeah. for this disease. That is amazing. That's been a game changer for us. I was the go-between before I found yes. a multidisciplinary team and I was not a good go-between. <laughs> well, it's just very difficult to catch everyone and to get, the, you know, so when you're having everyone think at the same exact time about the course, what are we doing now? What are we going to do in three months? What do we, what does this look like in a year? Yeah. And those are the questions that I kind of tell parents to ask. You know, sometimes we're so um, worried about that moment. And I always say, okay, let's look here, but what's going to happen? What comes next? And what mm. comes next? And so asking the team about that is important. Yeah. And for a patient who might not have a team working on their behalf, what advice do you have in working with a nutritionist? Like how can they help them in turn, you know, be most useful? I think sometimes the nutritionist actually can be the go-between. Mm. Um, they can be the one to kind of email both the GI and the allergist, you know, allergist together, um, they can, be, because um, kind of the order starts with the physicians, right, of what is going to be the elimination diet. And then the dietitian really tells you how to do that, how to carry that out. Got and it. so that's the important piece. And so if one of those is struggling or one of those are not communicating together, it can be hard for families. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Oh, that's amazing. Well, we've managed to cover a lot. Um, and I was curious if there was anything else you were hoping to share with people who might be listening. I would say um, to stay positive that it's a difficult journey for everyone to make food enjoyable and to provide nutrition. And so taking a little pressure off ourselves sometimes um, and just remembering that we want them to enjoy to eat. And that's really important. That is amazing. Yes, I think that is advice well served. Um, one that I'll be taking from this conversation <laughs> is to take the pressure off and small wins are big wins and to keep at it. Um, and I just I believe that together, we really can make a difference um, with everybody going through either a, di a, a diet elimination or diseases like um, EOE. So thank you very much for being a part of the community and for advocating for all of us and for all that you do on a daily basis. Thank you. And thank you for this podcast. I think oh. it's very helpful. It's my pleasure. All right. Thanks again, Tara. Thank Take care. You.